0: For the scene where V emerges from Larkhill, stunt double Chad Stahelski, director of the John Wick franchise, literally walked through fire. So none of that CGI. Stahelski's body temperature had to be lowered before the scene was shot. 15 minutes before a take, he would put on ice-cold, flame-resistant clothing, and once he took them off, he would be covered in fire-resistant gel and a G-string. Remember remember the 5th of November the gunpowder treason and plot I know of no reason why the gunpowder treason should ever be forgot. Oh my god V for Vendetta slaps So hard. (laughs) I watched it recently the last uh, I'd say two weeks ago, and then you watched it last night It's one of my favorite comic book movies hands down. It's top ten. It might even be top five comic book adaptations of all time. It's really that great. Whoa, top five. What about DC Comics? For sure. Oh, for sure. DC for Comics sure. top five. I mean, even in throwing in Batman, Dark, Batman Begins and Dark Knight. But DC Comics, they've had a bunch of hit or misses. But oh, yeah, yeah. I like to put Watchmen and obviously V for Vendetta kind of in a class of their own because not typical superheroes. We don't have Batman, not Superman, but these incredible graphic novels, both written by Alan Moore that are so sensational, so critical of culture. And V for Vendetta and Watchmen both loved with huge fan bases before the movies came out. But what Alan Moore did with both stories and then interpretations—you can take with them what you want. A lot of hardcore fans don't love them. Alan Moore doesn't love them. He probably hasn't even seen them. He stopped watching the film adaptations of his work after From Hell and A League of Extraordinary A League of Extraordinary, Extraordinary Gentlemen. Gentlemen, which came out in 2003. Then after that, he's like, "I'm out. Don't ever fucking talk to me again." What? He he even gives he gives his money to the anime to the drawer of his film. The illustrator? His, yeah, the illustrator. Well, he also refuses any created by or adapted by credit, credit yeah. from the movies, so he doesn't have, like, written by or based off the graphic novel by Alan Moore. He's distanced himself from DC Comics for the last couple decades. I- I have a lot of respect for him for being like, you know what, you fucked up my other my other stories. Yeah. I'm not gonna have anything to do with Hollywood ever again. I understand that. That being said, I think Watchmen and V for Vendetta are really great adaptations of the graphic novels. There are a couple of the only graphic novels I've read. I think I've read like maybe five in of all graphic novels, but you know how to read? <laughs> if there's if there's pictures. I, I know. If there's pictures, <laughs> Anthony reads. He doesn't look at the text. He just looks at the photos. It was a uh, it was a pop-up book. <laughs> v for Vendetta pop-up. <laughs> but, I mean, this movie is sensational. It's really well done. It's, a in a lot of ways, a perfect adaptation. But I really love... 1984 is my favorite book, it's a fantastic- Whoa, your favorite book? Yeah, and it's a fantastic film. And this is just basically the comic book version of the 1984 story in a lot of ways. And they even cast John Hurt, who is the lead in the film adaptation of 1984. He plays the lead character, and then in this one he plays the Chancellor, which is, I think, just a great nod to that Orwellian novel. Absolutely. Directed by James McTeague, V for Vendetta came out all the way back in 2008. 2000- And five? Oh, my God. Holy crap. Written by Lana Wachowski and Lily Wachowski, as well as David Lloyd, based obviously on the graphic novel by Alan Moore. Following World War, London is a police state occupied by a fascist government. And a vigilante known as V, played by Hugo Weaving, uses terrorist tactics to fight the oppressors of the world in which he now lives. When V saves a young woman named Evie, played by Natalie Portman, from The Secret Police. He discovers an ally in his fight against England's oppressors. IMDb, this is an 8.2, baby. That's a huge score. 1.1 million reviews. It is number 161 on the all-time user rating list. Impressive. Rotten Tomatoes. It is a critic score of 73%. Not great. It's pretty Pretty good. good. 73? Pretty good. What? And then 90% audience score. There we go. That's more like it. Letterboxd, it's a 3.8 on a budget of $54 million. This film grossed $134 $134 million at the box office, which is pretty Not what low, they but it was ahead of its time. You know, this yeah, movie yeah. was far ahead of its time, coming out post-X-Men, post-Spider-Man, same year as Batman Begins. Imagine if this movie came out right now and that trailer slapped... Oh my god, people I feel would be like, freaking out. I feel like this movie couldn't come out today. It, this movie would destroy it if it came out today. No, but I feel like there would be powers that be that would prevent this film from getting out there. <laughs> and there's yeah. nothing they can do about it now. Are you saying it has something to do with the real world? I'm just saying it's more relevant than ever. And I've been saying that every year I watch this movie, but goodness, it is more relevant than ever. Yeah, especially because 1984 and even Orwell couldn't predict the idea of everybody having uh, technology and screens in their pockets where in which media and government can help sway you in... Um, dominate you, so even, like, he would, if Orwell saw the world it is today, he'd be like, this is fucking terrible. He'd be like, yeah, pretty much what I said, (laughs) in a lot of ways, but more tech. Yeah. Versus a TV in your home that's being, you can't change the channel for 1984, similar to some of the concepts with the BTN, the British TV network in the film. I can't believe we got this movie... The same year Batman Begins came out. Isn't that so crazy? So we got Batman Begins and V from Vendetta in one year. They both grossed under $300 million at the box office. Oh, my God! <laughs> how? Oh, my God! <laughs> people didn't want them back then. Back then. Back then. Back then. Back <laughs> then. Uh, I it's just think people weren't... The hunger for great comic book movies wasn't there. Except for Spider-Man. It was there, but just we didn't... like Maybe we didn't know what we wanted. Like, you're looking at this giant menu. <laughs> hey, we to, saw this. You just get the chicken We tendies, saw this in theaters. Chicken tenders and fries. You don't know you want it yet. I I thought it was a sick trailer, plus the character of V, this masked figure when it comes to fully masked characters in film. He's got to be a top five all time. Very few characters are actually masked the entirety of their movies. Even Michael Myers in Halloween gets unmasked very briefly in the original. But V for Vendetta, he wears the mask the entire time, except for the one scene when he's standing amongst the explosion at Lark Hill. And it's actually Chad Stahelski was the stuntman in that sequence when Lark Hill blows up and V screams at the top of his lungs. His body gets burned completely, but he survives the explosion. That's Chad Stahelski. Aside from that, V wears a mask the entire time. Darth Vader in A New Hope, obviously wears a mask the entire time predator and predator wears a oh. mask almost the entire time so when it comes to fully masked char- characters in cinema you could say that v for vendetta might be the best behind you could say darth vader in just a new hope because he takes his mask off later what about my boy bane man bane's very about right. bane, bane t- yeah okay bane he never takes the mask but the, off no, but, the he thing, but when commits. i said fully masked meaning bane uh-huh. you can see a lot of his Okay, space. okay okay so okay, i picked okay, specifically yeah. characters where their mask is almost completely covering their face except for Hall- halloween his eyes you can see he's absolutely right yes that's exactly what he said so uh, that's why i thought i'm like oh bane but you can see his eyes too much you're right all right i had some an idea of doing some of the best letterbox reviews that i found on uh, the app for this movie so best in terms of the Just funniest funniest this is, this is so funny all right so mario on letterbox elron said Fuck the police. (laughs) Oh my god, so true. That's pretty great. (laughs) He kills so many cops. (laughs) Then we got Liam posted, Doesn't it just make perfect sense that the man walking through fire wearing nothing but a G-string in this film would go on to direct the John Wick movies? I wouldn't quite say it's a (laughs) (laughs) G-string. It's a little more than a G-string. It's 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 a J-string. It's like a Calvin Klein... (laughs) Like tight, it's it's briefs. It's not even briefs. What do you call those briefs, though? You know what I'm talking yeah, about? Yeah, I know what you're. I know what you're yeah. talking about. It's like a thong brief. It's like yeah. if a brief if briefs and a thong had sex. Shows now, off baby. the thighs. Yeah, but it's not. Yeah. It's not quite a G string. Like it's not going inside. But okay, okay, get it right, Liam. Yeah, Liam. It's not quite a G. <laughs> get it right, Liam. I got one right here. What do we got? I hate, hate. That I'm so attracted to V. <laughs> he's so hot in this movie. <laughs> he's very confident, even though his face doesn't move. It's because he's got a great personality. It's the man. voice, man, he's Hugo charming. Weaving is no. so terrific in this movie. I can't wait to talk about that. I mean, yeah, he's fantastic. And then we have Oliver wrote, Padme snapped. <laughs> <laughs> Here we go. did. Here's another one. I literally only watch this because my professor said he watches it every year for Bonfire Night and I want to suck up to him. <laughs> what is Bonfire Night? I don't know. Is that a holiday in a different country? It might be like something they do at college campuses. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> Ellie wrote, according to the IMDb trivia, Kira Knightley auditioned for this, an actual English person, Kira Knightley, <laughs> who is often mistaken for Natalie Portman. Natalie Portman, and they, uh, Natalie Portman auditioned for the role of Evie, but then she lost to her American lookalike. They must be friends in person because obviously they've worked on... They've got to be. ...Phantom Menace together because obviously Natalie plays Padme, Queen Amidala. However, her double is played by Kier Knightley. Maybe they hate each other. Maybe they do. <laughs> a lot of animosity on set. <laughs> Just couldn't stand each other. <laughs> Just kidding, I'm sure they're friends. Here we go, we got another one. The most accurate thing about this movie's social commentary is how the government would never allow a talk show to actually be funny. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> That's my favorite one. <laughs> All right, Pilot wrote, so there are definitely dudes who insist on wearing this mask during sex, huh? <laughs> <laughs> the interesting thing about V's mask in this movie, so in the graphic novel, the illustrators actually use different expressions on V's mask face just because they get to play with it, and like. so if he's really upset or frowning, they could do different expressions kind of like theatrical masks, and they played around with the idea of doing that with the film it just doesn't work so they kept the same obviously static smiling version of the guy fox mask like, however what they would do was they would alter lighting and shadow whether on set or in post-production to change the mood of v to make him seem a little more upset or angry or maniacal at certain sequences they actually did do that in the black phone the oh, yes Haw- hawk's yes. mask he has three different uh adjustments to it Uh, different pieces to change the uh, facial expression that was i like the black it worked in that one yeah yeah because but i i feel like in the graphic novel they do it like if he's out yeah how can you change the mask it doesn't make sense exactly cinema yeah another day is here and you're ready for it what to wear check breakfast lunch and dinner check planning for what's next and how to save for it that's where bank of america can help for your financial to-dos bank of america has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America NA, member FDSE. All right, next up, Kate wrote, I wish I could shave off all my hair and have bags under my eyes and still look as pretty as Natalie Portman. She looks gorgeous <laughs> even in that jail cell when she's on her de- on death's door. Reading Still news, looks stunning. Reading toilet paper on stunning. the ground. Stunning. She looks terrific. <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> Starving for a month. Goodness, <laughs> can I get those genes in my bloodline? <laughs> I also came across some ridiculous one-star reviews of this, of this movie on IMDb. Let's go if you want to hear these. Absolutely. All right. Number one from Christopher Springer: Liberal progressive indoctrination at its best. Parentheses worst Jesus an oppressive Christian government hell-bent on cleansing the world of non-heterosexuals Rented the DVD because of all the rave reviews stopped watching it at the prison scene with the lesbian <laughs> You've got to be kidding me the emotional rhetoric here makes me want to vomit This is so typical of liberals not to be able to use facts and reason to explain their self-centered social and political beliefs So instead they make some movie that twists things around goodness Did they watch the same movie first of all It's just a movie second of all <laughs> there's massive metaphors to the nazi party that's basically Norsefire fire party is a representation of uh hitler and nazi party especially how hitler was actually appointed chancellor before he became dictator mm-hmm. he lost the presidential election in 1932 in germany in 1933 he was given the position of chancellor and then he basically took over germany after that so sutler is a very similar situation economic crisis in nazi germany but in the film obviously we have a global catastrophe with a viral outbreak as well as world wars and in the graphic novel it's actually nuclear war and nuclear weaponry is used versus in the film they went with viral outbreaks and an epidemic which i think worked really well yeah. cinematically yeah i like it so it's an allegory and a critique on culture not to mention not that Hitler's the only dictator but there's been dictators in so many countries over the course of human history so it's, relax, allegory, chris. Rel- it's allegory chris it's allegory take it easy man not everything's about Democrats versus Republicans, all right, bro? In their mind it is. Goodness gracious! All right, then we have a good one. It doesn't one. even take place in America, <laughs> even though it's a very Americanized version of the British story. Like, yeah, 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 yeah. Like, right. they think that eggs in a basket is a typical English breakfast. Is it not? Not really. It's it's more like uh, egg, eggs and beans is it's more like, common. It's like They love a, their eggs and beans. They do, but it's like what Americans think that Brits eat, eats, Brits eat <laughs> is egg in a basket, where it's really, yeah, it's eggs and beans <laughs> and toast. <laughs> <laughs> all right next up we have a good one from instant coffee venny oh, i love this i love this brand <laughs> <laughs> yeah, i love instant coffee i, mean, I haven't had instant I coffee put it in, in my shakes while. it's great you do yeah i've yeah, seen you do it. it it's excellent if you need a little kick before you go to the gym a little a little kick, kick get the zingers kick-arino. going <laughs> all right venny viti vomici very clever so uh say like vomit all right, top 250 for this piece of crap. <laughs> 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 at, least the, at least the Matrix had some CGI action to distract us from the mind-numbing mumbo jumbo crap that they were pouring over our brains. I'm talking about Matrix 2 and 3, the first one being not so bad. even Not so Ke- bad. <laughs> even though Keanu Reeves was doing some kung fu. Dude, come on. Imagine saying the Matrix is not so bad. <laughs> like, what have you ever done in your life and you call the Matrix not so bad? <laughs> Pretty good, seemed better. Seemed better. <laughs> Pretty good. It's okay. <laughs> oh, my God. Oh, man. Mumbo Jumbo in The Matrix. The okay, The action Buzz. scenes in this movie are awesome. The action's great. I can't wait to talk about the And action the scenes. action in The Matrix is great. And it's more than some action. It's a ton of action in The Matrix. It's innovative. Innovative. Innovative? Innovative. 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 What are you saying? What the hell was? I'm what saying, just came out of your I'm mouth? I'm saying the next the next one-star review. Inovative, you're speaking a different language. Uh, the next one-star <laughs> review is CineCritic. Some movies are arguably overrated, but this is just pathetic. <laughs> hey, I mean, your opinion's your opinion. I disagree. <sighs> uh, I disagree. I think it's an aptly rated movie. Maybe maybe not w- top 200 all time. But, but it, the thing is, I'm the top 250 is going to be, it's always heavily American movies. Yeah, yeah. And there's plenty of international films that aren't going to get the love. Yeah, we, we consume a lot of film yeah. content. But in terms of... A lot of movies here. If you're going to compare this to, if you could put this in like the large budget blockbuster action genre, this is really nuanced and complex and has really intricate storytelling and very, very big themes... And it pulls it all off. And that's something you rarely see in movies of this scale. Especially in the comic book genre. That's why I think it's so special. It's it's one of its The only one of its kind, really. It taps into a ton of different things that we can all look at our own current world at. Obviously, uh, the concept of ideas, lies versus truth, a police nation, surveillance, free speech, vendettas, revenge. We love a good revenge story. As well as immigration, bigotry, and... This movie, like I said, is more relevant than ever. But I I love the concept of lies versus truth in this film. And it it applies not just to governments for citizens. And, you know, I love the line where the inspector's trying to understand everything. How Lark Hill is connected to three waters and how it's all connected to V. And he's discovering all these things. And he says, if your government was behind the death of almost 100,000 people, the the epidemic that created this basically police dictatorship in England... Would you want to know? Would you want to know that, or would you want to be lied to? just like with V and Evie when Evie finds out that he was the one who killed that commander who is now the Lewis Prethero, the mm-hmm. TV anchor, and she sees on the news, did you kill him? would you like would you prefer me to lie or to tell the truth both both v and the government and the totalitarian government in England in this in this film represent lies versus truth, and I think that's something that we still have to face with our our governments today and the positions of power and the industries that control our lives do you want to know the truth of what's going on or do you want to just kind of ignorance is bliss and not know everything well I think that we in a way we know things but we still ignore them like we know they're listening to everything under our devices they're listening to our phones they're listening to our computers there's even car hey man, take your tinfoil hat off <laughs> <laughs> you're they're crazy just, man. The government's our friend and they are listening actually to, in our cars too so uh, a study was done to, and it found out that cars have been surveilled by companies they've been recording our conversations in cars longer than cell phones that's scary so even your cars they're they're listening to you on whereas in this film so like the cars like writing up reports yes exactly this printing up reports out of the bat <laughs> out of the truck cps reports sending it to <laughs> big ba- big brother exactly big brother is watching you um but in this co- in this film in Moore obviously couldn't see foresee the prevalence of technology being with cell phones and, and computers and everything but the government surveilling with like p- people in vans driving around neighborhoods listening and on the homes. Oh, I bet that happens. Well, they don't have to. They do don't that. have, that's yeah, what I'm saying. Yeah. They don't have to do point. that. And we know, we know they're listening. They, I mean, we I... know they've been selling our debt, not even listening, but selling all of our searches, selling all of everything we're doing online, browsing, purchases, credit card purchases, or like Amazon purchases. That's why, like, you'll buy something, and then it'll it'll just like be advertised to. Or you'll, I swear to God, you will be with friends, and some will talk about something. Cat it's, food. Cat food. And then all of a sudden, bam. That's advertised to you on fucking Instagram. Sorry. What the fuck? Everyone's getting Meow Mix when they're listening to this the next time they pop up Instagram. (laughs) It's from us. Meow Mix. Hope you enjoy that Meow Mix. Not a sponsor of the show. Juno loves it. but (laughs) We know they're doing it, but we just let it happen. Ignorance is bliss, man. Ignorance is bliss and also just acceptance of uh, the futility of even trying to, to stop it. And before we continue, we know that you all love movie podcasts and are always on the lookout for others. And we'd love to recommend our good friends at the Confused Breakfast podcast. You may remember they came to Los Angeles. They did a Point Break episode with us. These guys are awesome. Mike, Sean, and AJ are great friends of ours. What's great about Confused Breakfast is they're so much like us, but they tackle different kinds of movies. They'll talk about movies from the 80s, 90s, and the 2000s, so they do a lot of those classics from the past. Some of their most recent episodes that we love are Back to the Future. They did a great one on Tombstone, Blazing Saddles, Waterworld, Starship Troopers, Armageddon, Dumb and Dumber twister and so many more other bangers from the 80s and 90s these guys are absolutely hilarious they have this great bit on their show it's called the most punchable face which i find to be absolutely hilarious and they also do fan theories for movies and plots and characters it's tough for podcasts to find new fans these days because there's so many goddamn celebrities taking over the audience so we recommend checking out the confused breakfast podcast and have we been made docile with the comforts of our new li- and of our lives, of the world we've grown up in? Have we become so comfortable that we accept that there are terrible things going on that all the major governments of this world, most governments of this, of this world, are doing, but because we have such, such privileged lives, do we ignore that because we're, we feel lucky and we don't want this to end? It could be like, um... Versus confronting it. Uh, there's a necessary... I mean, it's an evil... There's an evil entity at play, but, you know, life's not so bad for me in particular, so I'm not gonna do anything to change it. But this film is representative of uh, bringing people together to stand up, and there's that famous line, uh, people shouldn't be afraid of their governments, governments should be afraid of its people. And it's absolutely true, because every major change in any government, in any country in the past, it's the people that change it, of uh, the revolution, in, Modifying the government and t- taking out people who were abusing power in the past. Yeah. Now let's set this film a little bit more at a global scale. So we have nuclear global war has happened around the world, except for in England. They got out of the nuclear arms race, according to the history of the novel. And so they were left basically safe from nuclear war, nuclear fallout. However, there's a great sequence of Louis Prethero going off on the United States where he says the former United States begging for help. And then he's like, we should give them payback. Let's fuck them. The tea party, we never forgot it. Never forget that tea party. You know, we should just... Where was Gondor? Where was Gondor? The biggest leper society in the world. They created the war, according to them. And he's like, God tested England and England prevails. However, we eventually find out that England has used biological viral weaponry to control their citizens by creating an outbreak that they said was caused by terrorist organizations, specifically from the Middle East, to control their population, to kill 80,000 people and gain dictatorial control over the entire country with the Norse Fire Party, which is very similar, again, to... To the Nazi party so quick background on Norse fire party Chancellor Sutler and what's going on in England in the film in place of nuclear war again in the novel version biological weapons were used instead in the in the film a devastating plague known as the Saint Mary's virus kills 100,000 people in England the Norse fire party a racist fascist white supremacist political party runs on the platform of order and security and wins the general election by 83 percent victory immediately after the election a cure is miraculous miraculously discovered for the virus and several religious extremists are arrested and executed after they confess to the terror attack supposedly of saint mary's virus the party firmly gets power of the entire country and begins to purge england and arresting all that opposed Norse fire politically while rounding up every homosexual, African, Muslim, Asian, Jew, Atheist, Jehovah's Witness, immigrants, and political leftists, they could find and send them to concentration camps where they would soon be killed off. Adam Suttler was then elected to the new office of High Chancellor. The power of fear its displayed perfectly in this film in a modern context that we had never seen before. We see these stories, we've seen them in movies a hundred times, but they're always period pieces. And they're always historical war films like obviously predominantly world war ii and and what happened in that era so this film is really special because it shows that same story and that same thirst for power and destruction of humanity and dehumanization but we see it in a modern context and i can't think of one that's been done better than this i know a lot of people like that show on amazon the man in the high castle in which nazi germany ended up winning world war ii and basically took over America and other and the other nations of Europe. And I've heard very good things about that. I haven't seen it, but that seems to be another one where it's a modern context of uh, this kind of imperialist um, totalitarian government dominating the entire populace so that's what's so cool about this film it, it, it's not done like this in any other movie it's basically a very quick version of what's happened to a lot of countries over the last several yeah. centuries of especially most recently or most famously with nazi germany how hitler came to power with the nazi power with the nazi party after world war one obviously germany was crippled economically but the the nazi party was created on the conservative side to bring germany back to power, and which is why it got so much recognition and so much power politically over the course of a decade or two. And then obviously, like I said, Hitler loses 1932 presidential election, kind of on purpose to get chancellor in 1933, which gave him a direct route to dictator. Now, for the film, let's get into the superlatives. Superlatives! Now, James, who's the MVP of V for Vendetta? Oh, the MVP of V for Vendetta is my man, Hugo Weaving, who puts on such a terrific performance because we have a main character who wears a mask the entire time, you can't see his eyes, you can't see his mouth, you can't see anything at all, except for the stone face of Guy Fox with a nefarious smile. That's all we get, but the incredible performance, not just physical performance of him and Pure James Pure filmed for about two weeks before he left production due to creative differences. I wonder what they were. His audio was dubbed over eventually in post-production from Hugo Weaving. Hugo is so sensational that with his his dialogue, his terrific enunciation, his incredible voice, he really sells this character so well that even though you can't see his face, you can't take your eyes off him. I would say my MVP for this film is... I'm going Natalie Portman. Good choice. Uh, Natalie is unbelievable in this movie. And I, after watching it recently, I was like, she fucking acts her ass off in this movie. She does. She does so much. And her accent is really freaking good. She had the same accent coach as Gwyneth Paltrow from um, Shakespeare in Love. And she, she won the Oscar for uh, lead actress for that film, Shakespeare in Love. <clears throat> but. Natalie is absolutely amazing really really dynamic actor and we get to see her do some new things and in a way Guy Fox is the face of the film, but I also think that Evie Hammond is also one of the faces of the film. She's the heart. yeah. You know, and the thing with Evie in that performance from Natalie, her character goes through so much transformation. Not just physical, obviously, oh, yeah. and the, uh, aesthetically with shaving the head and everything, but, I mean, her eyes just change by the end of the film. And Evie's reborn sequence of when she discovers that V has been lying to her and is the one that imprisoned her and Give tortured me goosebumps, her. goosebumps, man. When Evie goes out into the rain with the music, Evie's, Evie reborn, that sounds... That Dario Marianelli. Yeah, incredible incredible. incredible music. That is such a powerful scene, but also when she breaks down with V hyperventilating inside his little lair, when she finally gets released from the imprisonment, it is shockingly emotional. I hadn't seen this movie in like five years, but I was like on the verge of tears. I was, my heart rate was jacked watching that scene. It's so emotional, so powerful, and it's all dependent on Natalie's performance. That's one of my most listened to tracks, Evie Reborn. Like, I'm listening to it in my head right now. Da, 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 da. All right. That's not at all what, not what it like. sounds like. <laughs> <laughs> what was that? It sounds like Star Wars. I don't know. <laughs> the Anthony's like... Evie Reborn, great song. <laughs> <laughs> Classic. Absolute banger. <laughs> Obviously, for best actor since I put Natalie Portman as the the MVP, I'm putting Natalie Portman as the best actor. Hugo is absolutely outstanding. I'm putting Hugo as my best actor. And just the verbiage he has to say in this movie. The dialogue is so juicy. Ver- juicy dialogue. Verbiage. The words he says and the enunciation, the delivery of everything he says, not to mention he did this in post. So just factor that in as well. That's not an easy thing to do, to be on sets and say the dialogue on, in person, but then redo it in post-production and make it sound just as good. They did a great edit on his voice where it sounds like it's, it's under a mask. Yeah, because... It, they could have made it sound like it was just uh, voice recorded, and it would just it just wouldn't hit right. Like ADR, kind of like um, yeah. kind of like Bane from Dark Knight Rises when they fixed some of his dialogue. It doesn't sound it sounds like studio recording sometimes. They Expect one of us in the wreckage, brother. And it's like, and then it cuts to another line of his which he delivered on set, and it's like it sounds so different. <laughs> Come on. So with this, the sound editors and sound mixers did a really fantastic job of making his dialogue audible while also making it feel like he's speaking under a mask. Yeah. And in, within the context of the environment. So they did a great job. But I just got to say, I mean, he's so incredible. The physical acting's fen- phenomenal. And in the verbiage, so that that monologue, he speaks to Evie Hammond. Which one? There's all, a few. The, with all the V's in it when he first meets her. Oh, yeah, it's great. He says, so he starts sentences with the, uh, he, he says words starting with V 43 times. It's amazing. It's, it's fantastic. I, I fucking love that, and it's it's really fun. And I just love the, the the dynamic of fate. He sees it as fate that Evie ran into him. Well, he says that because he says, "Of course you are." He he says that great line where he's like God. He doesn't believe in coincidence. He believes in fate, which is a, a great line. Yeah, and it's just it's, he just confirms it because she goes. She he asks her name. She's like, my name's Evie. He says, "Of course E-V. you are." Evie. It's just like, he's like, of course, that makes total sense. And then, then they watch him blow up the, the building. And I, but, I mean, he's amazing. But I do think that Natalie Portman, in a lot of ways, fucking carries this movie. Oh, she's sensational. She's so phenomenal. She's one of the best so ever. This is, That's why we did an actor spotlight on her. This is my ago. second favorite Natalie Portman performance. What's your number one, Black Swan? Black Swan. Black Swan is a legendary yeah, performance. So Black Swan, V for Vendetta, and then Closer. Her three good best picks. performances. Oh, Closer, I like that. It's yeah. a good pick. It's, fuck yeah, man. She, what, she destroys Jude Law. when it comes to Hugo Weaving performances. Where where do you rank this for you? Oh, um, Agent Smith, I gotta say is Agent Smith's one is number for one. Matrix, for Matrix, the first, the first Matrix. Yeah, me too. And then I would put <clears throat> there's a, a Australian film he made called The Interrogation. I believe that's what it's called, and it's him in a room being interrogated by officers for the entire film. Oh, I've seen that. He's amazing. You recommended that. that to me a few like so years ago. He's so good. It's fucking awesome. That's like, a great, great movie. And he in made it. that like 97, 98. It's fucking fantastic. And it's an amazing performance. And then then I'd put this. Yeah, then that's a good three. order. I'd put this number two. Then actually. L. Ron number four. Yeah, Just because L. L. Ron doesn't have that much to do well, in the Well, in, in Lord of the Rings, he's got a little more to do in The, the Hobbits. The Hobbitses. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. The Hobbitses. Uh, what's your favorite scene or the best scene from the movie for you? The best scene. Oh, yeah. <laughs> this is <laughs> the fucking knife fight with the SWAT team, bro. Oh, yeah, the slow oh God, the, Yeah, it's great. Dude, him taking out the SWAT team. I remember being a little kid. I was 15, just being a little teenager. This scene blew my fucking socks off. Just So, first of all, he's just like, What are you gonna do? We, you have, we have guns with bullets. What are you gonna do with all your fancy karate and knives? And then they just unload on him. Spraying bullets at V, And then, they all run out of bullets. And V's still standing, they're all like, What the fuck? And he's just like, stands up straight, and then he just starts going- So first he throws a couple of knives, and then we get this amazing slow-mo. Him taking out SWAT guy, SWAT guy, SWAT guy, throwing knives, perfectly timing it. Blood spraying everywhere. And the way they filmed this, actually, I- Some of the shots aren't slow-mo. It's the actors and stuntmen performing in slow motion, but filming it in real time, so that we can get the difference of speed between V and how fast he is. Plus it the ha- kind of the the light. Yes. Uh, um. I guess you the could ray. say the rays reflecting trailing, trailing. Yeah, trailing the knives. Yes, yeah, exactly. Show how fast he is. But a, a lot of this was actually staged in 24 frames per second, and they they're performing in slow motion. But then there is some slow mo stuff. But that way, the actor, whether it's Hugo or his stunt performer playing V in this in the, in the these shots, he's moving at more of a real-time speed, but then the star performers are, they're literally moving in slow motion to showcase the speed difference because you can't shoot it in slow motion if they're both in the frame, the very fast V. And they have to go in different speeds. Exactly, so the only way to really do it was to shoot it normally and then have the actors perform at different speeds. It's really well choreographed, and it's one of my favorite lines from the movie, yes. so ready? No, what you have are bullets in the hope that when your guns are empty, I'm no longer, longer standing because if I am, You'll all be dead before you've reloaded. No, the best line... Ideas. Beneath this mask, there's more than just a man. Beneath this mask, there's an idea. And ideas are bulletproof. And then he fucking crushes his neck. (laughs) It's amazing, it's amazing. Is that your best line of the movie? That's my best line, yeah. Ideas are bulletproof. The thing with this movie is there's so many good lines. It's really hard to pick just one for best line. Well, what's your favorite scene before you get to your line? So my favorite scene is actually Evie Reborn. I think that's from the sequence of her being released, uh, realize like watching touching through the, the dummy. So yeah, she walks through the hall. She well, it's a great line where uh, V says, uh, "You have no fear. You are free to go." Mm-hmm. She's like, "What?" Touches the dummy. She's back in the lair that she was in prison in for basically a year with V, and then breaking down on the gr- on the ground to V. But then V's trying to remind her, like, "Feel exactly how you felt when you were ready to die." And then she needs to see air, and then he brings her out into the rain. That's all. I think one scene is just so so incredible so James shows three scenes as his favorite scene. It's one scene Anthony, <laughs> and they just moved to different locations Just different locations It's also the elevator Huh? <laughs> Fuck you <laughs> This guy <laughs> what's your favorite scene? Um, you don't know, like those the incremental like ten scenes <laughs> 10 shots <laughs> See, <laughs> these scenes are broken up in different shots, usually. <laughs> it's okay. Oh, question. What? So, if you were gonna read the screenplay... <laughs> answer! How many fuck scenes, off. How many scenes answer, are there? Answer, fuck off. <laughs> answer. 16 scenes. <laughs> answer, I'm giving Anthony the middle finger. <laughs> Alright, what's your favorite line? My favorite line... <laughs> well, you see, with this film, there's... <laughs> so, <laughs> many great li- great <laughs> so many great lines. So many great lines. It's hard to choose one, so I made a list of 24 of my favorite lines. <laughs> my favorite line. Is vi, veri, universarum, vivis, vici. It's a modern Latin phrase, which means, by the power of truth, I, while living, have conquered the universe. So, this is when Evie's cleaning off that mirror. She reads that, and then V says, by the power of truth, I will, living, have conquered the universe. Damn, the Romans like Vs. <laughs> All those words start with V. Yeah, it was a common <laughs> letter <laughs> in that's Latin. It's amazing. It's not just Roman, death, There's a lot of V sounds <laughs> in the <in> Roman <laughs> speak. Yeah, I mean, that's how we spoke that. That's how they <laughs> spoke, man. We, yeah. We are waiting for eating rum and food. That's just like a normal sentence. <laughs> I want spaghetti. <laughs> Romans are eating spaghetti? No, they weren't. <laughs> they weren't. No, no v- grapes and figs. No fucking way. <laughs> Nuts. <laughs> Alright, uh, what else do we have for superlatives? Superlatives we have
1: remaining. Uh, best
0: shot. Oh yeah, the best shot. My favorite shot in this movie is when... V needs Evie's help for something theatrical, mm-hmm. and he's going to assassinate the bishop. So he's got v- Evie's in there and the little girl. Outfit, I know what you're going to pick, right? <laughs> and then so, but she's trying to escape. She, she's like, oh, this is my chance to escape V. I, I want to live my normal life again. So I like I this game. <laughs> oh, I like this game. <laughs> what a fucking creep this bishop is. <laughs> you bitch. Uh, <laughs> And then V, unbeknownst to him, doesn't realize that Evie's trying to escape and help the bishop escape, thinks he's she's helping him. He's about to come through that window and what's he doing? He's jumping over like across the roof. Oh my beautiful sunset. pink sunset yeah. behind him. It's just a great slow-mo shot of him just like flying through the air. High shutter. It looks awesome. It's just a sick, sick shot. I also love that shot. Yeah. I'm glad you picked that Me shot. Too. I love the shot of Big Ben exploding. It's really fantastic miniature visual effects. Why, why is the explosion of Big Ben? Because fuck Big Ben! <laughs> Wait, I'm just kidding. So, I mean, you're going to get put on a list pretty soon, Anthony. <laughs> no fly list for Anthony <laughs> Deppity. Relished in the explosion of Big Ben in England. Because, in London. because um, it's so vital to the story. It's a representation of the, of the power oppressing the people and, and the re- representation of uh, a corrupt government. And so destroying that symbol and showing the people that things can change. But on top of that, so it's a very powerful moment for the film, but also it looks fantastic. I mean, you just watched it last night. Doesn't it look amazing? It looks great. And it's miniature work and visual effects, and it's it just, it's not all CGI, and they, the practicality of it really adds to it. And I just love the, the entire explosion of blowing up of Parliament. It's just really fantastic with the fireworks. But that shot of, like, the Big Ben rumbling and then the glass shattering and exploding out. I think it's really fantastic. Even the explosion of the uh, the first building, mm-hmm. Old Bailey, Madam Justice, that's excellent practical yeah, effects as well. I love that. And the music playing, it's amazing. In the irony of She Stands, Madam Justice is Old Bailey, and it's just, like, a representation of justice, which the justice system which has been destroyed in this totalitarian government. That's why I ex- why I blow it up. And also, Madam Justice is blindfolded. Is she? Because she doesn't see True Justice. Oh, interesting. Yes. And so, you were talking about 1984 earlier, so we're done with superlatives. Yeah, I'm, yeah. If anyone's never read that book or seen the movie, highly recommend it. The book is excellent. The adaptation, the film is terrific as well. It's a tough movie to adapt, but I think they did a really great job back, mm-hmm. what was it, in the 1990s it came out? 84. 19- no, it didn't come out in 1984. Right? Um. Uh, let me see. Double check that. It's a great movie starring Jan- John Hurt based on the novel. Anthony mm-hmm. Johnny Hurt. Johnny Hurt. And there's obviously so many similarities to 1984. Came out in 84. Did it really? Yeah. That's awesome, man. They did it on purpose, <laughs> That's man. so cool. Yeah. Like, and why not? I think everybody was like, oh, it's coming, yeah. it's coming. So obviously, mass surveillance is one of the main things that the government does to control their people in this film. And they even dabble in the concept of uh, rectal um retinal <laughs> i was like where the fuck is he going with this <laughs> retinal <laughs> identification so rectal you, identity- you can assume <laughs> excuse me can you uh please bend over and spread your ass Chase. we need to identify you <laughs> yep it's uh it's, it is mr paul <laughs> yeah i recognize that rectal from last week <laughs> no two rectals look the same <laughs> retinal identification so you can assume mass cameras all over the city and all over the country, but they don't really show it that much in this film. I guess they don't have to, but also uh, audio surveillance is big in this film. Not only do you have a couple sequences of men in vans spying on population, but also the inspectors and detectives whenever they want to talk without any interference or being listened to, they take out that little remote device that I'm assuming just, just takes away any signal that can be listening to them around them in a certain sort of circumference. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And also, the and 1984 is... Famous for its blending of media and government, and government changing um, history, changing the present, changing what is being shown to the public to suit their own needs in completely modifying everything from the past but it was a great way to it was great to see btn basically being a wing of the government yeah. in this film how much misinformation and disinformation the media will tell the people of england in this film through the BTN, the british uh, tv network and also it showcases the 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 fear within those institutions and how you know the fear trickles down from superiors to inferiors and subordinates and even people in power are afraid of the people who are more powerful than them and that causes them to do whatever they're told and so the hierarchy of power all comes back to all goes up to sutler. And Sutler enforces his will onto his subordinates, who are all very high players in the system, but even they are afraid of him. And there's a great little nod, I think, to 1984, I'm sure Alan Moore, when he wrote it, with the Ministry of Objectionable Ownership, which I'm sure is just one of the many ministries that would exist in this world. And this is basically the Ministry of Objectionable Ownership, if anything you own is deemed Illegal, for example, when Gordon reveals that he has the Quran in his house, he mm-hmm. says, like, this is he gets executed because he has the Quran, versus he would have just been in prison for everything else he owned. But, like, specifically having the Quran led to his execution. Yeah. But well, I would say, he, helping Evie. I mean, no, he you know, just what he did on TV. No, but V tells him like he would have been in prison, however they found the Quran. Oh, V. I thought you meant Stephen Fry. My bad. No, no, that's what I'm talking about. I'm no, talking yeah, about yeah, yeah. Gordon. Oh, gotcha, gotcha. I'm gotcha. talking about Gordon who gets executed because he has the Quran. Uh-huh. Everything else, in helping Evie, he would have been in prison. That's gotcha, it. But remember, yeah, V says yeah. he had the Quran, so they took him out, basically. And we have the great, obviously, what were you, what were you just saying a second ago? You were talking about... Um, before before I jump I was talking in. about fear the hierarchy of fear fear the hierarchy in the of power with mm-hmm. and then obviously so, so I was saying some really cool stuff you were man. saying some cool stuff so what's interesting about the secret police and the fingermen of Suttler and the Norse party in this totalitarian government the new order basically it's arranged in the form of a human body so the Chancellor he's the head Basically, he runs everything. All information flows to him. The television station, BTN, was the mouth in this film. Visual and audio surveillance were the eyes and ears. Inspector Finch was part of the nose, the police force. And Creedy's secret police were the hand, and hence his fingermen were the police of the hand. That's why they were called fingermen. Exactly. The finger, finger fingermen. Now, before we get more into the modern classic that is V for Vendetta, how about we head into our intermission? Let's head into the intermission. And before we continue with that... We just want to let you know the best way to support our show is to become a patron today at patreon.com slash writers of the lost podcast. We are now adding all episodes new ad free to Patreon. If you want to experience an ad free show, all you gotta do is sign up to be a patron minimum $5 a month. That's it. And you have the ad free experience and we know everyone understands that Anthony's knocking stuff over that we, we have to put ads on our show to pay the bills. You know, this is what we do for a living. However, we want to give people the opportunity to listen without ads, so yeah, down head on over to Patreon. Yeah, we were just like, let's give everybody who wants it an ad-free experience. So everything coming out, every episode will be on Patreon. You can listen to ad-free episodes on Patreon or through our Patreon Spotify page as well. So you can listen on Spotify ad-free as well. It o- will o- only work for Spotify because Spotify and Patreon have melded together. So. Or just listen on but you can still listen on Patreon. Exactly. So you can do either Patreon or Spotify. But we ju- we think this would be a great addition to anybody who wants to listen to this show completely ad-free. But we also have five different tiers of membership. $2, $5, $10, $25, and $100. Every single tier. Awesome perks to get better and better the more you go up. $10, you get access to our Discord. $25, you get a custom episode. $100, it's there's so many goddamn perks. I have no time to get into it. And we forgot to mention, so $5 will get you the ad free experience i didn't forget it's the first thing i said bro james did not forget to tell you I just wasn't listening. But also, he <laughs> never listens to me. You can also help the show by leaving those five-star ratings and reviews on Spotify and Apple. I'll read a, a five-star written review on Apple Podcasts in just a moment. And also, just share us with your family and friends and people who love movies. You know, It's the number one way for a podcast to grow is word of mouth and sharing any episode, sharing this episode specifically. If you have a friend that loves V for Vendetta, send them this review on any platform. It's the best way for us to grow. In this episode, of course, is sponsored by our friends at MoviePosters.com, the number one place to get your posters online today. Be sure to use our promo code Raiders10 at MoviePosters.com to get 10% off your order right now. They have a gigantic selection of pretty much every movie and TV show imaginable in their huge poster library. High-quality prints. They look fantastic. All sorts of sizes and framing and even backlighting for your poster needs. They make a great gift. For the movie lover in your life and they also make a great way for you to express your passion and love for cinema and tv in your own home so be sure to use our promo code at raiders and be sure to use our promo code raiders10 <laughs> at MoviePosters.com to get 10 percent off your order right now so that's something that you wouldn't have heard that with the ad-free experience yeah exactly so yeah and well i mean we do love those ads oh yeah i love that so good but also can you get 10% off com using Movie Posters 10. Is that what you were about to say? Yes, I was uh, <laughs> about to say Movies 10 gets you 10% off at Raiders. Raiders.com. <laughs> it doesn't. Don't in- try it. That's not our website. RaidersLostPodcast.com is our website. Now, Anthony, is it time to head into the intermission? I think. um. I think it's it's about that time. time, Ding, ding, ding. (laughs) Let's head into our intermission. (laughs) Is that a new sound bar? (laughs) It's a new sound bar. (laughs) Ding, 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 Ah, (laughs) ding. I I never got into that stuff. (laughs) Guess this movie quote, Anthony. It's two characters. (laughs) I do not know what strength is in my blood, but I swear to you, I will not let the white city fall nor our people fail. Our people. Our people. I would have followed you, my brother. My captain. My My king. king. (laughs) (laughs) You got it. It was um, Denethor's favorite son. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yes, I wish it <laughs> You would preferred if I died instead of Boromir. <laughs> yes, I would have preferred it Yes, I wish that I wish that very much <laughs> Poor Faramir, man Poor The guy. memes are so good, though Poor guy He got a at the end, He did get a so it yeah. worked out for him His dad died, so <laughs> Fuck that he guy He doesn't deal with him anymore hey, he's a fucking prince now <laughs> Yeah, <it's> true <laughs> He, he made bad. up pretty well. He did. I mean, for Lord of the Rings characters, who made up better than Faramir? I mean, Aragorn made up pretty well. Yeah, Aragorn pretty. Never mind. Aragorn did pretty good I for mean, himself. He, he got lived high, he got yeah, he got Arwen, who's a gorgeous elf. Uh-huh. Those excellent genes. <laughs> Not just the Numorian Norm- N- N- genes, but the-, the Elvis genes. They made a super baby. Super baby. <laughs> <laughs> the new, the Warner Brothers adaptation will be Aragorn Sutton, He's the superhero. I mean, Arwen's bad forever, too. Like, <laughs> she's hot. She's beautiful. No, she's mortal. will she die? Won't oh, she she w- no, I mean, but for his entire life. She'll still live longer than yeah, him. Yeah, she lives yeah. like several hundred years still, at least. Even as a mortal? Yeah, yeah. She just lives a very long time. Really, I mean, he lived a pretty long time. <laughs> Aragorn, was he li- all, all lived a long. He was time. like 150 when he died, at least. Man. Okay, here's my quote. I it's- mean, Sam-wise, I mean, he got <laughs> what's her name, the bartender, Mary. Mary. Ma- She's got flowers in her hair. Mary. <laughs> no, nah, I don't think it's Mary. Something. Sally. With an, something with an S. Sandra. <laughs> yeah, it's Sandra, Anthony. Sale. Sally. Sally. No. Susan. <laughs> I think it's Susan. Sauron. (laughs) Sauron had flowers in his hair. (laughs) Sorry, dear movie quote competition now. Here's my quote Let's just say I'm Frankenstein's monster and I'm looking for my creator. It's a good line. Is it a revenge movie? Yes, he's doing revenge stuff in this movie, this character. It's not a revenge movie, though, but he's out for vengeance. I don't know what is it. It's X Men First Class. It's Eric. It's Magneto. Oh snap! Yeah. All right, that's a good line. The first act, he says it. It's a good line. When he's hunting down the Nazis. Dude, that bar scene's awesome. Dun 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 dun. Dun-dun. such a sick dun-dun, theme. Dun-dun, Magneto's dun-dun theme in the in the. It's prequels, on my gym playlist now. So good. Do you, you know what else is great? Do you move dumbbells with your mind from it? I wish I could. <laughs> um. Scorponok from Transformers. What'd you say? Scorponok? Scorponok. So I think, so if I remember correctly, it's from the first... Sounds, trans- sounds like Transform- a Star Trek word. Scorponok's Sc- one of the bad Transformer guys. How... He's like one of the bad <laughs> Transformer guys. <laughs> Super bad. <laughs> um, but his theme is awesome. Check it out. I can't wait. It's fucking... Dude, when you listen to it, you'll be like, okay, I see what you're saying. Scorponok. Scorponok. Doesn't that sound like an alien species in Star Trek? Well, it is an alien species in Transformers. The Scorpinox are coming. Oh, like a whole race? Yeah. It doesn't. Moving on. <laughs> Guess this movie release year, Anthony. What year did Goldeneye come out? 1997. 95! Damn! You're way off, man. <laughs> I should be embarrassed. Two years. What year did... 300 come out? Hmm. We just saw The Killer, so I'm doing a Michael Fassbender trivia. Man, year did it come out. Oh, man, we'll see. I think Dawn of the Dead came out in '04, So I'm going to go 2007. No. What is it? 2006. <laughs> Good guess, <laughs> though. Good guess. Close. That's a tough one. I saw a Gerard Butler uh, interview recently, and he said that um, the screaming delivery of this as Sparta. He said he did that as, like, the final take. They shot the scene. They they were very happy with what they got. And he's like, guys, guys, what if I just, like, fucking scream it? And Snyder was like, all right, try it. Just try it out. And then he did it, and they were like, oh, that's the take. One of the best lines of the century. Yeah, but they weren't <laughs> even going to do it. That's pretty funny. Yeah. Great, he's, Great he's, instincts. He murdered that role. Dude, man. he's... Nobody else could have done that. That one role got him, like, a crazy good career. Yeah. <laughs> I love him. He's yeah. great. He's, Every, he's everyone, had some good roles. Everyone likes Gerard Butler. Like, who doesn't like that guy? I don't know, man. If they are, they're crazy. Such a badass. Yeah, he's, he's great. Um, But, yeah, nobody could have done what he did with Leonidas. Like, and you, for, had, you have Fastbender in that movie. Not even Fastbender could have done that. True. But I feel like when it comes to, if you could have a beer with, like, any actor, like, Gerard Butler would be, like, a good person to get a beer with, I feel like. Yeah. If, if you feel he seems like, like, a, like a cool seems dude. seems like a cool guy. You gotta go with Matt Damon, bro Yeah, I'm just saying, like, he seems like a cool guy to get a beer with. I'm not saying that he's the only one. (laughs) (laughs) Like, sorry that. Is this something we have to spend a little, pay a little attention to? Yeah, he's a little offended that I didn't pick Matt Damon. Matt Damon's offended. All I said was he'd be a good guy to get a beer with. And he's like, what about Matt Damon? (laughs) (laughs) What about my guy, Matt? Matt Damon. Damon. Moving on. Movie pop quiz time. How many times has Sean Bean perished? On screen in TV and film. I'm guessing it's not as many as I think it is. Um I'm gonna guess 14 times. I'm gonna say that you should probably think as many as it is. Yeah? Forty two. Like, no, nah, well that's too much. <laughs> that's what I thought. <laughs> reverse that. <laughs> Scratch that. Reverse it. Well like you literally, literally 24. No. Yeah, yeah, there you go. Nice. Twenty-four. Twenty-four. He's died twenty-four times on screen. You know who's died the most on screen? Um Jesus. <laughs> No actors, not. not no, characters. no, not, not I'm sure it is. I'm sure Jesus is up there. He's up there He's, for all time. A lot of Jesus movies. Weekly Jesus reference. <laughs> <laughs> Podcast. It's always like very offensive too. Yes. <laughs> Sorry, Jesus. Um, Who, what actors died the most on screen? What actor? Hmm. It's gonna be someone who's been in a ton of movies. Yes. They're Are also... they still alive. In this actor life? passed away, but he was he passed away recently, like a few years ago, like this century. All right, um. You've seen him in a lot of movies, too. He's very He was very old. He lived a very long life. But, yeah, you know him. This guy. Yeah. I know it. It's cool dude. He's a really... Who died recently? Not like that recently. Like four so, four or five years. So, like, in the last four or five years, this yeah. actor died. Yeah. It might have been, like, two years ago, actually. <laughs> Just guess the name. Christopher Plummer. No. I don't know. Christopher Lee. <laughs> <laughs> Christopher Lee has died 71 times on screens. One off. Yeah. Wow. Seventy-one. I would never have guessed that. Seventy-one deaths. He was in a lot of TV, so I mean that makes, yeah, that sense. makes sense. All right. Here's my quiz question. What are Michael Fassbender's two highest-rated films on IMDb? On IMDb, Shame. Incorrect. Um, Inglourious Bastards. Yes. Twelve Years a Slave. Correct. Ding 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 ding. Shame's only a 7 Two, if I remember correctly. Well, at least I got a Steve McQueen movie in there with 12 Years of Sleep. Steve McQueen's awesome. Yeah. I mean, man, he's in two all times for the century. Two of the best movies of the century he's in. I mean, Fastbender could have been in a lot more movies if he wasn't a race car driver. Yeah, but a race car driver sick. Yeah, he's only... I looked at his IMDb today because we saw The Killer, and he's only been in four movies the last six years. Yeah, but I'd be doing... Th- if I had that, like, mentality, that, that's a cool-ass job. Well, for it's him, a- he said being a race car driver was his first dream that's awesome and he was actually working towards it while he was working towards becoming an actor that's so too. badass so he pulled them both off like what the fuck holy shit what a guy who's the other guy that's a race car driver uh that's an actor well right live pa- patrick dempsey yeah patrick dempsey and then paul newman paul Newman and was the main one yeah but yeah dempsey's another one right now dempsey's been doing it for a long time professional race car driver yeah. he drove t- he drove daytona he drives he's driven for porsche for a long time Fastbender drives for porsche yeah he actually crashed at Le Mans yeah it wasn't too bad though oh no, yeah it was a, it was a bend yeah it turn but he had a he spun he out he had a drop out of the race though yeah he spun out he, too, he he was on the first day right yeah it's too bad It was actually the first few hours unfortunately that must have been just like a huge yeah breakdown. to just be like put all train that your, training like your whole life has been leading to Le Mans. yeah sad it's i'm super. sure he'll be back i'm sure but i mean the killer was awesome fyi guys watch the killer. it's coming out on netflix on november 10th we saw it because we got limited release out here in la it, in theaters it was excellent Excellent, excellent, excellent. We're going to be doing a review of it very soon in November once it comes out and everyone has a chance to see it. Did you give it a rating on Letterboxd? 4.5, baby. Me too. 4.5. 4.5. Best fight scene I've seen in years. In years. There's a fight scene in the film. Fucking blew the chains off the door, man. It was unbelievable. I like that. Unbelievable. I like that analogy. Blew the chains off the door. I was, like, jumping in my... I was, like, feeling the impact and, man, Fincher... Like, there's a reason why he's one of the greatest ever. And, like, to see him, how he stages an action scene, it's better than anything you've seen recently. Yeah, and he doesn't have a ton of action scenes in his movies. No. You know, they're here and there, but nothing like, he's never done a scene like this before. But when he does it, it's the best. Yeah. The chase scene in seven. It's great. It's one of the best chase scenes ever. Yeah, it is. And it's like, it that's better than most action movies. And then a fight scene in this is better than most fights I've seen. Last several years. It, it, it I can't even think of a fight that compares to how good this one was. It was insanely visceral. Yeah. It feels like you're in a room with two people really fighting. Yeah. I, I f- seldom have felt that watching a movie. Mm-hmm. It was fucking awesome. And like I really felt like the main character was in danger. Like, really. Yeah. I felt like I was getting hit. Like yeah. It was like that intense. The sound design and cinematography, just perfect harmony together. Choreography was... Yeah. Excellent too. Yeah. It was an awesome man. fight scene, but the killer can't recommend it enough. Let's move on to haters this week, Anthony. Who we got? Oh, yes. Unsubscribes. Let's get down to business—the dirty, <laughs> gritty stuff. I want to hear it. I want. James hear it. wants the tea. Make me feel bad. James has been. <laughs> James, <laughs> I, I, there's are, there are haters like that. If you want me to, yeah, bring bring them up, man. No, no, I want to feel it. really sad I don't right think now. You take it. <laughs> you I, were... can, I can take anything. Man. No, you can't. I can take it, man. <laughs> All right, Carter Solo wrote in our monsters episode. Glad to know y'all love the Universal Classic Monsters. Great video, but The Mummy 1999 is the best remake unsubscribed. It absolutely is. Did we not say it was? What did we say? Invisible Man. Oh, you said the Invisible Man. I said The Mummy. Oh, that's true. Yeah, you did yeah. say The Mummy. So you're wrong. I'm wrong because you you and him agree? Yeah, that makes me three. wrong. Shut <laughs> up. Incorrect answer, Anthony. Get out of here. <laughs> Incorrect. <laughs> All right, well, you and Carter can go hang out. And start your own fucking podcast. It's gonna be called the ninety. I mean, the mummy is better than Invisible Man, <laughs> and no, it's gonna be called Fuck Anthony. <laughs> every, Welcome to Act to another episode of Fuck Anthony. New episodes every Wednesday. <laughs> Talk about Anthony. not when he sucks. <laughs> People would tune in. He <laughs> would definitely get some listeners. Sponsored by Manscaped. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Next up, Mars to Nice. Mars to Nice on Twitter. Uh, Responding to our Monsters episode, wrote, The editing was all over the place in this one. A lot of jumping around. Heard a few things twice. LOL. Immediately unsubscribed. Wow. (laughs) What was up with the editing, Anthony? I don't know. What'd you do, man? I'm not sure. I thought I did it. Anthony edited that one, everybody. (laughs) So another episode. Why? Anthony sucks. (laughs) (laughs) Fuck Anthony. He can't fucking edit. (laughs) All right. Ben Hardy wrote. Just kidding. You're a great editor, man. Thanks, man. Ben Hardy (laughs) wrote in our. You made a clip of talking about how, I'm talking about how De Niro gave his best performance since Heat in Kozo Flower Moon. And then Ben Hardy wrote, ben Wrong! Addy, his best role since Heat was Dirty Grandpa. Unsubscribe. <laughs> 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 I haven't seen that, but I've seen clips from it. It's fucking ridiculous. Seems pretty cringe, yeah. to be honest. All right, Alex MacArthur wrote in your Dune uh, video, about the person who's suing Dune, who's definitely not you. (laughs) No, suing Warner Brothers over the delay of Dune. Get it right, in. You can't sue dude. Get my lawsuit right. (laughs) (laughs) Alex wrote, whatever, James. You're a crazy person. Just unsubscribe from Warner Brothers till Dune comes out. (laughs) Maybe I will. Maybe I will. (laughs) Oh, there was a real hater. Um, Sean wrote to you. Are you really a fan? Or have you just been told you're supposed to like Dude? You brought that up last episode. Oh, yeah, I did. I did. Remember? And I cussed him out. You him with me? You cussing with me? <laughs> Here, put on this bandit mask. <laughs> I got an unsubscribe on Twitter. Really? So uh, we posted the image of Princess Aero. I mean, of, of, of Princess Azoa. <laughs> Azula. Azula, sorry. <laughs> arrow <laughs> and then Azora. <laughs> sorry it's, it's uncle iroh <laughs> is the reference yeah yeah yeah, yeah. so i, I, said, I haven't I've, seen yeah. avatar yet. I'm, I'm gonna watch last airbender very soon um casey vente wrote long time listener first time on subscriber we made a post is this artificial image is this an artificial image of princess azula which yeah. looks like an artificial image he said, just listen to Movie News 122, Uncle Eero. Bro, it's Uncle Iro. Unsubscribe. <laughs> yeah, I but for real, up keep up name. the great work, guys, and congrats on Midnight Rune. Oh, thanks. Thank you, Casey. That. Yeah, I got a couple of uh, people making fun of me for my pronunciation of uh, Uncle Iro. I just haven't, I haven't seen the sh- I've only seen the show in one watch through, and it was last year, and, you know, just forgot. Couldn't remember Uncle Iroh? Okay, uh, Azorro. I've never seen the show, <laughs> so I have no... You know the clip, though. Anyways, it even says the text. Do you have any more unsubscribes? That's it. That's it. Yeah. I have a great review. Let's hear it. I love reviews. Richard Patrick 60. Hey, Richard. Let's go! That's the title of the review. Guys, you're awesome. I work in the industry as an assistant location manager on shows and films. I was traveling a lot for a show I was on and was loading up on podcasts for the roads when I came across your show. It's so great listening to two guys who are as passionate about movies as me. You two are knowledgeable, funny, and just seem Really nice. Aw, thanks. Currently enjoying the Harry Potter reviews as yes. well as bringing as well as binging your previous episodes. Keep up the great work. Subscribe. Fuck yeah. Thank you, Richard. Thanks, Richard safe travels on the road and that's a cool job you're working on the industry location scouting and stuff like that location manager it's a cool job you get to see a lot of cool places lots of traveling so very important to the production it's essential i mean a lot of scripts have to be written around locations and it's important locations 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 so richard thank you so much for that incredible review now anthony what's your streaming recommendation for this episode i watched the village it is fucking awesome, man. It's a great movie. I haven't seen it in a few years. Um, I always really liked The Village. I think it's one of M. Night's better movies. And in, in my opinion, it's his best directed. Like, he did a lot of great stuff cinematography-wise and how he approached the story. It was, I think um, The Village is very good. I gave it a four out of five on Letterboxd. And when this movie came out, everybody was talking about it. And everybody was like, you're not gonna fucking believe the twist. And it. this twist in this film, Blew everybody's hair back, and it was a big thing. And everybody was like, oh, "I can't believe that! That was insane!" You know, very few filmmakers have the the draw, the name recognition draw and pull of M Night Shyamalan in the late '90s, early 2000s, and then obviously Christopher Nolan today. And I feel like M Night was there. For a oh, little yeah, while, yeah, but he's obviously not so much anymore. The last like 10 15 years, especially after Avatar, he's I mean, made too. He's made too many g- bad movies. Yeah. The Lady, Lady in the Water, The Happening, and Avatar: Last Airbender. No, it's just called Last Airbender. Oh yeah, Last Airbender. I mean, the Last just, Airbender. Yeah, he's just made too many not good movies where he. The audiences loved him because he did six Sense, Unbreakable. Signs and then the village. Loved movies. Four awesome movies. Well, like what? That's a great streak for a filmmaker. Yeah. And he was poised. He was poised to be the fucking man. The next big thing. He uh, was for he a was, while. He was yeah. the big thing, and um, unfortunately, he just had uh, too many bad movies. And I I do like him a lot. I think he's a very good director. Um, but he's just made some questionable films. Unfortunately, he was on the path for like all time. His Yeah, his first four films, I can see that as being, like, an all-timer if he kept up that quality with his films. Yeah. And then also, man, Glass. Yeah, Glass was not it, man. Like, it was so bad. Glass was not it. it that showed, that's the perfect example. Split's awesome. Oh, he's back. Then Glass, and you're like, it's m Night. <laughs> <laughs> Never mind. <laughs> we got excited. <laughs> Unfortunately, he just doesn't have the consistency. Yeah. But he had that pull of just like, it's an M. Night movie. Dude, Everyone's everybody go was like, it. M. Night. M. Night was the, like, he, after Tarantino, he was like the new rock star director. He was For in, Americans, yeah. He was in, like, an American Express commercial yeah. series of, like, him, like, you know, Scorsese did that, and a few other directors did, like... Wes Anderson. Yeah, Wes Anderson, De Niro did one. It's like, That's how fucking famous he was. Yeah. He's still very famous. Still loved, but, yeah. Anyways, my streaming recommendation the entire Rocky franchise has been put on max. So go check them all out right now. You got the box set right there. Sure do. The box set. The Rocky boxer set. I gotta say, Rocky 2 has the best boxing fights. It's just amazing. Best boxing fights is in Rocky 2. Yeah, it's pretty sensational stuff, man. incredible. His physique is absurd, especially in 4. Yeah, and four. But two, It's c- c- compared to him in Rocky 1, yeah. he really fucking hit the gym, bro. But I mean, <laughs> Carl Weathers was already there. Yeah, Weathers, <laughs> he, was, he was there, Day <laughs> 1, Rocky Rocky 1, he was there. Predator, man. Yeah, Predator, man. <laughs> <laughs> Dylan! <laughs> What's the matter, they got you pushing too many pences? Uh, am I the only one that misses glistening biceps in movies regularly? I mean, everybody's excited for Iron Claw, and I think that's the reason why. I think that there, there's been a thirst for that, just like that masculinity in a lot of movies that's kind of just been gone for a little while. You know what I've been meaning to watch, and I've I've asked you to review it on your page. Your running page is Commando. Oh yeah, I did Predator, but Commando's on the list. I got it. I think I'm gonna watch Commando tonight. You should. It's a great movie. Remember when I said I was gonna kill you last? I lied. I lied. <laughs> I love how that movie just opens up it's like so sweet and innocent <laughs> he's just like carrying his daughter on his on his arm and they get ice cream and he's throwing her they're around living the pool a great life, it's like they're yeah. so happy together it's so cheesy but it's amazing alright that's my streaming recommendation let's get back into I forgot we were talking about this movie I'm so excited so, V for Vendetta I gotta say V is definitely one of the best costumes of the superhero genre it's excellent Yeah, I, I, I mean it's so incredible and it's just iconic and it's become a, a, a famous part of this film, just the iconography of the V look, not just the Guy Fox mask, but also the entire outfit. The hat. The hat, the it's cape. It's like a gunslinger kind of thing. Yeah, it's just really something really so powerful about it. Um, I just I adore the look of V and the design of the costumes and I really love having the Guy Fawkes opening of going Mm -hmm. back to 1605 so V wears a mask in the guise of Guy Fawkes who is most famous for his involvement in the gunpowder plot of 1605 which he was placed in charge of executing due to his military and explosive experience. The plot masterminded by Robert Catesby was a failed attempt by a group of provincial English Roman Catholic conspirators to kill James I of England, the sixth of Scotland, his family, and most of the Protestant aristocracy in one fell swoop by blowing up the House of Parliament during its state opening. However, they get caught. Guy Fawkes gets caught, obviously, in the opening of the film in the tunnels. But then, whose disguise? Does V choose? He chooses the disguise of Guy Fox for what that represents, as well as even the group Anonymous has taken on the yeah, look the, that, in yeah the disguise of Guy Fox from V for Vendetta, getting inspiration from this. Yeah, I, mean, I yeah, I mean, Anonymous started what two thousand tens, like two thousand eight, two thousand nine. Yes, yeah, so and it was definitely influenced by this film. Hundred percent. And there's a really incredible sequence of this film, and it's during your your favorite sixty minute scene. I'm throwing something at Anthony. <laughs> I'm just kidding. It was before that scene. It's when she is. It's when Evie is in prison and she finds the toilet paper uh, biography of Valerie's story of Mallory, Valerie Mallory, Valerie with a V. Mallory is uh, from Bond. Is it Mallory? It's Val- I'm, I just told you, I have IMDb, I just showed you the IMDb page and you still aren't believing I feel me. like you photoshopped that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I photoshopped Imogen Poots with Young Valerie as her name. Young Valerie. <laughs> like I said, Valerie. Cause of the V. It's gotta be v. that. Yeah, it's yeah. Gotta, <laughs> Latin. Well, I mean the V, the middle of an M is a V. Yeah, it so is. So you're kind of right. Sort of. Uh, so I am right, yeah. <laughs> so Valerie. Sorry, continue. Uh, Valerie's story is just amazing. It's, it's one of the most powerful parts of the film. It's tragic, and what's interesting is we saw the shot of Valerie shaved shaved head in the camp. Yeah, early, early in the film, we saw that shot of her, but it wasn't. We didn't know who it was. It was she. She's in line for exactly. the injections, right? Exactly, it's because that's the whole point. Is she just ended up being one of the victims, and uh, and they dehumanized her, and that scientist, uh, the woman, I can't remember her name. She has a great line where she's surge, surge. She like she says she looks at these she looks down on these people now like they're not even human, so she lost any empathy, um, because they thought that they were just wretched human beings in the worst parts of society and they deserved it in a way maybe they deserve to die. So it's not that bad of a thing that we're doing here testing these chemicals on them, but we see Valerie in that line and she's she's just one of a dozen people on screen. Don't think anything of it but then when we get to her story, Evie's listening, uh, reading the story in the, on the toilet paper, and then we're hearing it through Valerie's narration. She, we, then we get more concise photography of her at that camp, and it's like she was one of those people. And then it was just a tragic story to hear about. It's a, in it, her story is a representation of the downfall of the society and the destruction of the society. She is just uh, used as an example to show how the dis- society was destroyed and then gripped with control by the new powers that be. And it basically and it worked as a metaphor for the entire country in a way. In the power of propaganda. Yes. Yeah. Of how you turn normal people against each other, just normal people against other citizens, just because maybe they're homosexual or maybe they're from a different country, maybe they're immigrants, to turn on people based off what they look like, what they do in their personal lives, and just create basically accomplices to murder. Yeah. Especially for her, surge becomes... essentially a murderer. She's as responsible for those 8,000 dead as anybody else is. And the the story is so important because it's it's what helps create V, and then it's what helps uh, allow Evie to accept her fate of death and completely transform into a new individual. And that story is vital for both of the characters, and that's why V left it for her as well, because of how important it was to him when he was in the real prison and found the real written biography. And combining propaganda with corruption, and everyone who was in a power, a position of power at Lark Hill, which was a resettlement camp, which was basically a concentration camp, of experimentation of trying to find a biological weapon to be used, to be created, to control a population, or Surge says something like, "There's no like nuclear weapons are nothing compared to a viral outbreak that can." kill an entire populace it's and not scary. Damage, not damage the environment she even yet. references Oppenheimer in this film so she references uh, J Robert Oppenheimer who changed the world with the first nuclear bomb with the atom bomb and now she's basically sees herself as the next Oppenheimer how can I change the world with my studies with my research and it all leads to V and who is V we don't know who V is V doesn't know who he is he forgot his memory he was one of these people who was put at lark hill and then obviously he was one of the he's the only patient there that had responded to this experimental drugs and experimental medications with success who had sort something happened to his genetics he had uh genetic transformations
1: mental and mental transformations. mental yeah.
0: transformations until he became uh, p- more powerful than the average human, you know. Everything in his life was enhanced. Insane intelligence, and I, I think they show really quickly how smart he actually is. You know, the first time we see V when he's speaking to Evie, she's asking basically like, "Who are you?" And he's going off it's like the paradox of asking a masked man his identity. Like, what's the point? You, where, there's no point. Just stuff like that shows, shows how intelligent he is. He has super strength. He has insane admiration for art. He's wildly theatrical to the point of it just being ridiculously fun he's insanely courteous and polite and he's also out for vengeance but every part of his being from a physical psychological aspect has been enhanced for good and bad you know his anger he probably has an anger issue because of it you know well she says um, she, she saw he was be- patient v was he also suffered from madness she says as a as an effect of the chemical uh, into him yeah he can no longer really understand who he is or who who he was so he 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 his life is vengeance now his life so the thing with v he's such an interesting character because he really has two goals and they are actually connected so he has the first goal of, on the surface, his goal looks like he's trying to free the people of England from this dictatorship to open their eyes to what's happened to show that there's something really wrong with this country. And he understands that he wants to chop off the head of this insane government that's taken over this country that he probably once loved if in his past life that he doesn't remember anymore. But also, he has a thirst for vengeance and revenge, which he can't stop. And he connects them both, and they're cleverly connected for the film's sake. And it works really well. But why why can't V stop? You know, Evie is put off at his murdering. You know, he, she can't believe at first that he is a murderer when, he finds out, when she finds out that he killed Louis Prethero. It almost makes her sick to her stomach, it looks like. And so why can't V not murder? Why can't he show mercy to... The people who victimized him, the heads of Lark Hill, the doctors, the the commanders, everyone. Why why does he have to murder? Can't he just bring justice to them in a different way? And V can't stop his path of revenge because that's how he was created. So he has that great line to Eevee says, What was done to me created me. It's a basic principle of the universe that every action will create an equal and opposing reaction. What was done to me was monstrous. And Evie says, and they created a monster. He can't stop his path of revenge because that's what happened. He was created to be this person. And he gets the chance to stop. Evie wants him to stop at the end of the train station. Um, but he decides to go and continue um, his, his mission and his plan. He could have gone and left with Evie. And, you know, she kisses his mask and everything. Like He could have stopped. But he couldn't help himself. And for him... I don't think he could have lived another day knowing that any of those people were still alive. Yeah, and it's just like he was cr- – this is what happened to him. He has to do it. He has no choice, really, because, again, every action with an equal or opposing reaction. He has to do this. Yeah. It's his path, his fate, to kill them all. Yeah, I agree. and it. it I mean, it leads to the fucking awesome fucking shoot knife scene. <laughs> yeah, the great. awesome knife scene, but it's the death great. of them all. Yeah. But it, it's one of my and great – my favorite parts of the film is the fate. I love the death of Sutter. Suttler. Suttler. Chancellor Suttler. Um, because Creedy brings him in after V makes an alliance with him in his little, his little greenhouse and so Suttler brings I mean Creedy brings Suttler to V in the uh, underground and Suttler is weeping for his life, begging for his life and he's a coward, that's the irony of it, um, this person who dominates society and rules through fear and has ordered the deaths of who knows how many people uh, deep down, he's really a coward out to save his own skin. And him crying like a baby, blubbering, and Critty's just like, pathetic, and then blows his head off. <laughs> it's fantastic. I loved it. And V giving him that that rose right before his death. It's fantastic. And Evie's a really terrific character, and we talked about the transformation a little briefly earlier of what she goes through. And We, throughout the course of the film, get b- great beats of exposition about her past, and we find out that Evie had just a normal life she lived was part of a normal family until her brother died at saint mary's he was one of the original children that got infected with this the virus the viral outbreak at saint mary's and the death of her brother led to her parents becoming political activists which led to them being black bagged and eventually dying in prison and dying in jail probably in concentration camps and then because of this she was raised in an orphan orphanages and becoming basically a daughter of the state and becoming a docile and compliant member of society to this totalitarian government working for the media exactly working for the face or working for the eyes and ears of the norse fire party the mouth too in the mouth because he's the voice of yes yes the voice of england yeah you're right Yeah. yeah so the voice of britain the voice of britain yes yes so working for basically norse fire party Until things start to change and she makes decisions that sway her life's course so obviously she goes out past curfew which she shouldn't do she's going to see Gordon Dietrich who is the comedian, the host of the talk show, who we find out later on is a homosexual, closeted and secretive and he has to invite young women over to keep up appearances that he's not in order to keep himself safe she doesn't know that at the time and she gets caught past curfew. This is how V and her meet. So first of all, breaking a rule there, going out past curfew, it's a risky thing to do. But then seeing the explosion of old Bailey with V makes her kind of an accomplice to it if she was ever picked up by security cameras. And then also she does get picked up on security cameras, right? she when so she actually aids V when he um, takes over the media station No no but before that they yeah. they pick up on her on security cameras that's how they know to go to PTN they go to her apartment yes, yeah, and yeah, they yeah. find the BTN badge yeah. but yeah but then the most important decision that she makes is to help V saves his life ah, he didn't need that okay yeah she thinks she saved his life but really she he didn't because he can take bullets because he's always yeah. wearing that plated vest and but she does make the decision to mace the guy the security guard And to help V, she gets knocked out. And V does the only thing he can think of, really, after some contemplation, takes Evie with him, sees it as a sign of fate. But these decisions, each one getting more gradual in how it will affect her life and in terms of breaking the law to the point where she has to go underground with V. I think it's uh, really important to make sure your characters are, are making things happen rather than things happening to them. And your point exactly is that, is that Evie makes these decisions and she isn't just taken by V for no reason. She caused herself to become compromised. And so he thought, you know, I'm going to protect her. The only way to really save her is to take her in. Otherwise, the finger pe- finger men are going to um, torture her for weeks to get any information they can and then kill her and then kill her. So this is actually the much better option. But she did it to herself. She caused the events to happen. She does. And then again, eventually, you know, Evie at first succumbs to her situation and, and accepts it you know i have to stay here for a year with this guy at first she's upset but then she she accepts it and i, I love the breakfast scene because it's the first time she's had real butter for years this real but uh, haven't had butter in years and we find out that this incredible layer with he calls it the shadow gallery i think v yes the shadow yeah. gallery just arts and statues and he's got this great jukebox and music and art everywhere and we find out that he's stolen all stolen all this he's holed up in this great Victoria Station this abandoned Victoria Station which he's just redone up it looks really great <laughs> and we find we find out he's stolen it all from Sutler basically which is really incredible but eventually she does seek an opportunity to escape and that's the opportunity when he's going to kill the Bishop mm-hmm. she does try to escape and she does makes it to G- uh, Gordon Dietrich's house but then she gets captured again who she thinks is by Fingerman who hadn't actually, it was V, but I think Gordon Dietrich's a great character because I think Dietrich represents the average UK citizen at the time, the average Englishman, Englishwoman who, even if they don't have specific possessions that are undesirable or illegal, I think internally they all feel what Dietrich is hiding in his basement with all these things that he's not supposed to have they're all hiding the truth that they feel inside of they think there's something wrong with this country and that's the power of V is that V inspire V and Ev inspire Gordon to make that new kind of episode of his talk show of basically spoofing the Chancellor and an unapproved script in an unapproved episode uh, to air live and that's what brings the Fingerman and Creedy to his home Um, and they they got blackbag him because of that Um, but that's the power of V and the power of the idea is it inspires and so V's actions inspired Gordon to do that episode and you know that episode I'm sure made a lot of people think differently about the government and about the media and so this little things is a trickling effect and Gordon's TV episode is an example of that and even his disappearance afterwards mm-hmm. You know, I'm sure everyone knew he got killed yeah. because of what he did. So you can argue that that was an important addition to the catalyst that V started when he took over the BTN news station and put on his own special broadcast saying, it. if you meet me in a year at Parliament, I will blow that bitch up on November 5th. So join me. And then obviously the great third act of this film where he sends hundreds of thousands of masks and capes to the citizens of England in London and begs them or... Tests them all to meet me at Parliament on the 5th of November, and I will blow it to the sky. How long did it take him to set up those dominoes? <laughs> Quite a while, probably. So there are 20,000 dominoes in that scene. Crap, I love that scene. Yeah. It, I, I, it's not in the novel, but I think it's really cool. It's visually just like, it's a metaphor for the number, it's just the power of numbers. In the population, there's m- millions of people, they can take down the government if they did it. If they actually got together. Uh, the numbers would just be too too overwhelming for anybody to stop them. And so I think that's a great representation of uh, the power of numbers. And then there's that one perfect domino at the center of it all, and it's double-sided. It's black and red. So I think it shows the moral ambiguity of V, because I think V sees himself as that domino, which is why he leaves it and he brings it with him to the train when he's going to blow up Parliament with the fertilizer and the box. Well, I look at it as it all starts from one. Yeah. It starts from one man. But also, again, I think it's double-sided. Well, they're all double-sided. They're all black and red. Are they all black and red? Yeah. Oh. That's why it has that great look when it, they're from the overhead shot. I thought there's some were black when some were red. But it was a great insight. <laughs> <laughs> Even though it's wrong. I think that the last domino represents him. And that's why he takes it with him. But mean you could look at we all have that side of the good and evil on both of us. Yeah. And, and inside all of us. And it also and, looks cool. It does look <laughs> badass. <laughs> the red looks awesome. But it's, it's just a great sequence. And I love the ending uh, when everybody does Storm Parliament and when when parliament's exploding and everybody starts taking off their masks we actually see uh some of the people have been who've been killed are are there and obviously they're not there really but it's more like um we see their faces and we see them in the crowd because uh they're part of the revolution in a way and they deserve to to see this this fitting change and I, i love that aspect of seeing the people who have passed are in the crowd because we're all one people and it's, we're all one group we're collective ultimately and so standing up against the government revealing ourselves and also being showcasing the importance of the people who died to give us the freedoms that we have i think this is why they put them in there i love the involvement of the population in the public by v from stage one of his entire plan this plan that he's been developing for over 10 years now probably ever since I, I like to imagine and i hope an origin story is never made oh a God. v post lark hill what it was like for him obviously to escape and then find this victorian station and then gain his wealth of knowledge from you can assume he read every single book that lines the walls of that entire underground under undercroft what's it called like a I don't know. not a lair but an undercroft basically right i don't know undercroft i've never heard that Something word croft. it's like in hogwarts legacy <laughs> I don't know. That layer, that the Slytherin layer. You're the Slytherin, I don't know. But remember, it's where Sebastian is. Oh, I remember. Yeah, I just can't remember the name. That layer. I think it's called it's an underground. It's called it a layer. The layer, The layer, Finding that layer and then gathering all these books and then reading them. And I'm sure he probably has a photographic memory, but then gaining this intelligence, which then leads him to develop this plan and then obviously obtaining all those resources and then who knows fighting with and then fighting against the dummy with the sword the Count of Monte Cristo so you're you're saying is you want a v origin story I don't want it but I like to myself imagine V's origin story you know I don't want to see it a movie of but I I like to imagine what it was like and I I think it's a really interesting thing to picture well thank God he dies at the end of this movie so we didn't get a sequel yeah I mean I'm I think v had to die at the end of this movie and it's really important that he blows up with the bomb because it's his night November 5th is his Mm -hmm. night now and i adore this movie however there are a couple things that i'm what are they well if you I want to hear so i think sometimes the production design can be a little limited uh-huh. or a little inconsistent we have some great sets a lot of great sets a lot of great locations great production design but then there's sometimes some, some scenes that don't cut it in compared to the other sequences like I don't like Inspector. The Inspector's Finch. office is yeah. I don't, I'm not a huge fan of Inspector Finch in this movie. I don't really. I don't love Finch. either. I, I don't know if it's the character or the performance. I just think that he's just too much of the cliche hard boiled detective. In the graphic novel, he's a lot more interesting. And I agree. I think he's the least interesting character in the he's, whole film. Kind of gets on my nerves in this movie, and it's he's annoying. always asking some the same dumb questions and i don't love the character of finch in this i film. will say finch is like it's like he's so stubborn and unwilling to see what's in front of his face for the whole film but also he lives in fear too you know yeah. the reference that creedy makes of your mother was irish wasn't she which i'm sure meant that anyone who was irish was deemed uh, and oh, maybe yeah. what, maybe v was yeah. an irishman you know you you probably got sent to a resettlement mm-hmm. camp because england's just been fucking up ireland for <laughs> centuries now um and i think that he lives out of fear obviously and he wants to sh- prove that he's an upstanding member of the party of the northfire party and i just don't really connect with him very well in the film and i, I think, agree i think the performance is just the or it's the character and the dialogue is just not great it's a, he's it's fine because when you have someone as vivacious and literate and interesting as v and also someone as great as as evie in this film and their sequences and their dialogue it's so juicy and and interesting and and indulging and then inspector finch is just toast. I'll tell you why. Blech. I I'll, actually, I actually I think I know why. It's because he doesn't do anything. All he does is gather information to tell the audience. Yeah, Yeah. That's what good does point. he do? He goes to lark. Yeah, he just puts the conspiracy together. He doesn't actually do anything. He's just there. So I think that they kind of failed the character of like he doesn't really accomplish anything whatsoever, except for, you know, just giving us some exposition and some information. And even when he meets Rookwood, which is clearly V in disguise, yeah. we don't get much, like, you're right, he's just yeah. there. He, just, he is just for uh, exposition's sake, but also putting together the puzzles, the pieces of the puzzle. Yeah, but he doesn't do anything. That's, good that's a, I think that's why, because he gets a lot of screen time. He has a lot of screen time and he doesn't really fucking do shit at all. He's not a huge character in the gra- graphic novel. Ironically. I think they wanted to put someone there who's um, investigative and then ended up not being necessary. I wouldn't say that's not necessary. Cause Cause think you, I think it could have been done a little better. You could have Evie doing the stuff. Finding all the trick, putting all the pieces together. That I guess. That could have been a little stronger than him. Well, I think v- we but don't... But also, he, he sits in the room of... Yeah, he, he's the inside the inside yeah. voice or the inside eye of, of the party yeah, yeah. for the, for the yeah. audience. I think he needs to be in the movie, but I, sh- I just think they could have done the character a little better. Written the character a little better. The performance is fine. It's just... It's, yeah, it's fine. Well, compared to the other characters, especially V and Evie, it's just a bit of uh, a buzzkill when he's on screen. <laughs> <laughs> Sometimes. It's like, can we fast forward through this? Yeah. I uh, know what you mean. I know what you mean. The, the Finch scenes, I'm like... <laughs> yawning, bro. <laughs> there's um but there are a lot of great lines we said a lot of the lines already it's so it's so well written and then another one of my favorite lines is when evie is telling v after coming back to him after a year and she said that she was worried about being recognized and then she was in the grocery store line waiting to get checked out by the clerk and then uh, a woman she used to work with at the tv station a great friend of hers stood in line next to her and Evie was so nervous that she dropped her keys or something. And then her old friend picked it up for her and gave it to her. Handed it to her and didn't even recognize her. And um, I think that's just a great representation of the transformation of Evie. And how she just does it's not that she, she looks a little different obviously without the the long hair. But it's really that she's turned into a whole new person. Which is why the woman didn't recognize her. It's everything about her has changed. It's not just her hair. And that's the whole. That's the point that that dialogue is getting across. Just the, It's a very simple phrasing, but it's describing like how she's transformed so much that a great friend of hers didn't even recognize her when she looked at her in the eyes. And what expands on the transformation is one of my favorite parts of the film and of V's entire plan, which I'm sure he didn't expect this to be part of it, it's because he fell in love with Evie, is that he gives her the greatest gift of all. You get to decide whether Parliament gets blown up or not, because you're the youth, this is going to be your country, you should be the one to decide, your generation should decide whether this happens or not. It's actually really a great metaphor for the average government in in Western, or most governments, they're just full of so many old people. These so people in their 70s and 80s making decisions for these co- for our countries and they'll be dead in 10 years. Exactly. Is, like they're the ones making laws for laws that won't be around when they're I mean that they won't even see f- like fulfilled. If you're a politician in your 70s, why keep go- why are you still doing it? Money, bro. That's when you yeah. start getting the real money. Yeah, that's the, that's the real money. That's the real cheddar cheese. They can't stop they can- that money's real good. ExxonMobil is like, "Hey, man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah 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 but that's what i mean i think it's a great decision for v which he wasn't going to do originally mm-hmm. but because he fell in love with evie he gave her the greatest gift he could possibly give anybody the control over the revolution she becomes the new leader and also like how i don't want a prequel but i like to imagine V's origins of post lark hill how he gets to where he is in this film in the st- state of this character i like to envision what happened after the explosion of parliament after the assassination of sutler of, of creedy after they cut off the head they cut out the eyes they cut off the ears of this totalitarian Norse fire party does evie become the new leader of a revolution for england yeah she could it's, i think it's possible because she's famous uh through the news however i think that ultimately it will lead to a democracy and the people will vote on who the new leadership should be. So that's the whole point is that- Yeah, Finch- but I mean, the revolution yeah, the rev- has to have yeah. a leader, yeah. which leads to yeah. democracy. Yeah. And I, I always picture Evie as the leader of the revolution because she technically is, you know, V kind of just created his uh, his, his uh, legacy through her. Well, also, because she has that great line when Finch asks, who was he? And she goes, uh, he was my friend, he was me, he was my brother, he was my mother, he was you, he was all of us. And so V represented the people, and his actions were for the betterment of the people, and they were motivated by helping the people. And so it, everybody, he, he's a symbol for everyone who wants freedom, essentially. Yeah, and I like how Finch asks, like, will blowing up Parliament really make a difference? Will that do something? And Evie's like, we don't know, but we have to do something. Like, something has to be done, basically. Yeah. We have to find out. I think it's important to blow up the symbol of the institution. Yeah. I think it's vital. Anthony's going to get put on a list again. No fly. <laughs> like, Anthony can never fly to England. We're terrorists now. <laughs> apparently. <laughs> well, that's a key word that they use in this film, like media propaganda, obviously, that effectively turns people against each other. And it's very effective in this film for the people. We see it look. in the modern day all the time. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. But Yeah, I think that's a great gift that V gives to Evie. You get to decide, not me. Because he put this whole plan together, but he puts it in Evie's hands. Yeah. I think that it was only right. Because... In a way, V was partly, like you were saying earlier, motivated through selfish reasons of getting revenge. So he had to eliminate vengeance and revenge from the equation. So he went away and did his vengeance and killed the people, the last remaining um, members who victimized him. And then Evie wasn't fueled by vengeance. It wasn't fueled by revenge. So I think it was a more pure decision on Evie's part. So I think that's why also he did it. Yeah, because she's not really ideologically motivated. She's just motivated by wanting freedom for the country because one of the main differences between the graphic novel and the movie is the graphic novel V is pursuing anarchy versus in the film pursuing freedom and democracy. And V is fueled by hate. And it would have been a decision made by hate, whereas Evie's decision was made um, uh, as a way of Saving lives and protecting lives. Yeah, and when it comes to revolution there has to be anarchy for a Uh, a revolution to occur there has to be destruction And V is that destruction, but then there has to be decisions that really change the game but I think like you said taking Those feelings out of the equation giving it to someone who's not motivated by hate Mm -hmm. and vengeance is the best way to do it Yeah, and it has just a, a great finale. It's a perfect finale. It's a great ending. It's exactly how you want it to end Parliament explodes, blows right the fuck up, and everybody takes off their Guy Fawkes masks. Yeah, and two other things I would love to talk about is Louis Prothero, but also how all the people that were in positions of power at Lark Hill are some of the wealthiest people in the country, specifically Louis Prothero, who has a ton of stock in these pharmaceuticals. Hmm. Big Pharma. Hmm. Good reference there, but also... The entire sequence of Valerie when V discovers the paper toilet- <laughs> <laughs> discovers the toilet paper. Such this beautiful but tragic story of her in her life dealing with obviously coming out to her parents, which goes horribly wrong, and they disown her. They father throws the portrait of her in the trash. They disown her basically, and then finding success of being a- an actress, but then being persecuted because she's a lesbian and her Girlfriend, wife, get, his or her wife gets killed. Then she gets killed first. T- Will taken to Lark Hill and becomes a member of the resettlement camp. Mm-hmm. But leaving this this bi- biography, basically, of her life for somebody to find. She doesn't know who. And Eventually, obviously, Evie thinks that V created this character of Valerie and wrote this. But it happened to V, and V and Valerie were next to each other, cellmates, next cells to each other, at Lark Hill and the reason why v was able to go and keep going and push forward was because of valerie's message in her story it gave him the strength to keep going and i think that great and beautiful shrine that he reveals to Oh Mm -hmm. yeah, yeah a beautiful part of the film with the roses to show her that it was it really was her story was real Mm -hmm. she wasn't made up everything else is fake except for her yeah it had the movie poster it had a like a portrait of her and like that beautiful bouquet of roses that he always keeps fresh the scarlet scarlets yes scarlet hold on I got the name of the because rose yeah what's it scarlet carsons thank you carsons it's great scarlet carson it's (laughs) It's really beautiful very beautiful Yeah. yeah but I love a good revenge movie. And we got some great vengeance in this film. Great murders. I mean, and, you know, murder, is it ever justified? For V, it is. For Evie, it's not. But for V, murder is the only answer for his. For, 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 well, it's because it's what he, how he's been created. Yeah, it's his vengeance. It's, um, he know- the thing is, he knows how horrible these people are and how truly evil they are and yeah. nobody else does. What's he say to EV? He says like there's there's no justice for when after he kills Prothero, mm-hmm. there's no justice system for him. This is the only way to do it. Yeah. I agree. Yeah. Crazy. I love this movie, man. It's fucking awesome, man. It's all, it's so good. all I love it so much. I'm, I'm 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 so glad that it has an 8.2 rating on IMDb. Me too, man. Cuz it's, it's really great. I'm glad. And obviously we have great References to the Count of Monte Cristo in this film. Oh yeah, the plot of the movie is remotely similar to Alexander Alexander Dumbass's was (laughs) movie that from (laughs) Shawshank Redemption. Alexander Dumbass, yeah, (laughs) (laughs) Alexander Dumas' Dumas novel, The Count of Monte Cristo, as both stories revolve around characters who escape from imprisonment and proceed in seeking revenge on all those responsible for their incarceration. I have some fun facts, bro. I fucking love fun facts. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> All right, for the scene where V emerges from Larkhill, stunt doubled Chad Stahelski, director of the John Wick franchise, was the stunt double. Literally walked through fire, so none of that CGI. Uh, wearing just a special fire-resistant gel and a g-string. G-strings are back. Stahelski's body temperature had to be lowered before the scene was shot, and luckily, it was three, de- three degrees below zero the night of the shoot. Fifteen minutes before a take, he would put on ice-cold, flame-resistant clothing. And once he took them off, he would be covered with fire-resistant gel, which had been icing all day long. Stunt people are crazy. What a crazy experience. There's a great few behind-the-scenes photos where he, it's post-fire, and he's just, like, smoking. That's awesome. <laughs> the cast and crew were only allowed to shoot near the British Parliament in Big Ben from midnight to 4.30 a.m. It's a very small window, and they could only stop traffic for four minutes at a time. Gordon Dietrich is actually very different in the graphic novel played by Stephen Fry, who has a great mm-hmm. uh, audiobook of the Harry Potter franchise. I highly recommend it. he does a terrific job. So in the graphic novel, Gordon Dietrich is not only Evie's lover, but a slimy, cynical man, and more an accomplice and culprit of the system than a victim. In the movie, he's a gay man who criticizes the system, hides his homosexuality, and ultimately dies for it. Stephen Fry, who portrayed Dietrich, advocated heavily for those changes to be ca- in the, to the character, being both a passionate defender of gay rights and a government critic. Yeah. I think, it, I think it works really well for the story. Me too. And the action sequences are terrific in this film. We have several. I think, uh, obviously, you, you brought up the best one when he oh, yeah. eventually kills Creedy and all of his men. Oh, boy, yeah. so badass. And also, I love the taking over BTN. It's a really cool sequence. Because he didn't kill the finger man in the opening. Yeah. So we're like, okay, he knows what he's doing, but he's, is he a killer? And then we see, oh, he, he'll fuck people up. He will. He will kill people. It's its pretty great, and I love the uh, the splashing of blood, and I like how red the blood is in this yeah, film. Yeah. It's pretty great. It's heightened, and it's highly stylized, and it, it works. It does. It works really well. Um, What else he got on this, man? I, I, I got it all. It's all right here, man. It's all there. It's, <laughs> it's all out there. <laughs> I love it. I think it's a really great movie. Uh, It's one of my, it's actually, it's got to be one of my most watched comic book movies. It it definitely is. I've watched this a lot of, a lot of times. Um, I always enjoy it. And even on my last rewatch, I was like, this movie fucking rocks. Oh, I got a great quote from uh, one of the characters. He works at BTN. He says, our job is to report the news, not fabricate it. That's the government's. Oh, my God. Good line. Good line. All right. Well, that wraps our episode on V for Vendetta. Thank you so much for tuning in to Raiders of the Lost Podcast. Again, the best way to support our show is to share us with your family and friends. Share our podcast, any episode. Share this review of V for Vendetta with every single person in your contacts. Right now, share us in your Instagram stories, on Twitter, whatever. It's the best way to help our show grow. Become a patron at patreon.com slash Raiders of Lost Podcast. Bonus episodes every week in addition to ad-free episodes of the show for all patrons, minimum $5 and up, as well as leaving those five-star ratings on Spotify and Apple, another terrific way to help us grow our show. Thank you so much for tuning into our show. Remember, remember, the 5th of November. See you next time. This episode was executive produced by our Chosen One patrons, Cody Mowen, Andrew Hagen, Becca Keen, Benjamin Cook, Calvin Murphy Griggs, Nicholas Martin, Darian Singleton, Tyler McFly, Andrew Hagen. Our Chosen One patrons are our biggest supporters. Thank you so much. Raiders of the Lost podcast is a mirror image production. Sound mixing done by Jacob Kosler. Opening music by Chase Jackson.